0: Welcome to The Room of Lives. I'm your host, Neil. Today we are meeting Hanan Hashem, who was born in a Yemeni family in Saudi Arabia, and shortly after her family immigrated to the United States. Hanan is working on her PhD in counseling psychology. Her interests are in therapy for young American Muslims, and although she is only 27, she works as a therapist for many people who are decades older than her. She also does research and teaching at the nonprofit Family and Youth Institute, which focuses on promoting the mental health of American Muslims. Hanan has published several research articles on these topics, and her community work has focused on youth empowerment through school and masjid based youth groups and regional camps, workshops, and conferences. You can get in touch with her through her website heyhashem.com okay it's time for that question again how did i meet hanan well for a short time in the recent past i was crashing with my friend stefan the cosmologist who has been on this podcast it turned out coincidentally that right underneath his apartment lived a guy who had taught with me at a women's prison so one evening i went to say hello to this guy ...and find him talking to this girl who he knows because they are both counseling psychologists. This was Hanan. And we all introduced ourselves and what we do. And had a short chat, which immediately made me feel that I wanted her on my podcast. So, what was it that I saw in her in this brief encounter? Well, she was smart, funny, humble... And from a true story she shared, I noticed that something that would anger most people only made her curious. Which is a big deal trait to me. Also, she said that she liked my energy. And since I know beyond doubt that my energy is terrific, I immediately realized that she must be a wise woman. And must know many other secrets of the universe which I could learn from her. So it came to pass that on a bright fall day I took a train to where she lives and this time we had a long conversation and we ate cookies and ice cream and tacos and drove to the top of a hill and looked at the Austin night skyline this conversation was an intensely transformative experience for me as you will pick up from the sounds i made during the recording to me it really felt that time disappeared. And I grew and learned so much and got excited and giddy. And the first time I looked at the clock, it had been five hours. Earlier that day, I was trying to reassemble my elaborate set of home theater speakers, which I had painstakingly collected from different sources over several years and worked out how to connect together after much investigation and effort. But right before I was to leave for Hanans, I connected them wrong and turned them on, and in an instant, most of the system got fried. I became pretty upset, but forced myself to walk back from it, sit down on the floor facing the damaged equipment, and tried to notice how I was feeling and gradually maneuver my attention away from these speakers and towards the human I was just going to have a deep conversation with. My conversation with Hanan following this upsetting incident turned out to be so enriching, immersive and uplifting that it seemed like the universe had deployed some teaching device at me on that day. I am still unsure about what exactly the lesson was, but I think it may be a reminder that I should value people more than things or something like that. Okay, so this first part is Intro to Hanan. She tells us about her early life, family, and the discrimination they faced as Yemenis in Saudi Arabia. She tells us about her education, her curiosity about the world, excitement about learning, and her journey from math to logic, to philosophy, to psychology, and how she advanced through school faster than almost everyone else into doing research, therapy, and community work on discrimination. If you enjoy visiting the Room of Lives, consider donating Ether, DAI, or other Ethereum-based coins to abhranil.eth. That's A B H R. A-N-I-L dot E-T-H. Okay, shall we?
1: We shall. Do you need anything? No, at at the moment.
0: Like, we can take breaks in the middle and, okay. and get things that we want.
1: That
0: sounds good. Okay. All right. How do you exactly spell, pronounce your name? I know that In you say Arabic? Little, no.
1: Like, how do I pronounce it with people generally? Yeah. Hanan.
0: Hanan. Mm-hmm. But Hashem has emphasis on the first. Hashem. Hashem. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah.
1: And so in Arabic, yeah. the long vowel yeah. in my first name is on the second part, but the yeah. long vowel in my last name is on the first part.
0: Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So tell me a little bit about your like childhood and upbringing, what do your parents do, and like your like educational background.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Intro to Hanan.
1: Intro... Intro to Hanan.
0: Hanan 101. Okay. <laughs>
1: Let's start. Okay, so I was born in Saudi Arabia. Yeah. In Riyadh because my parents went to medical school there. Mm. Um, and so my parents are from Yemen. So I'm okay. Yemeni, ethnically Yemeni,
2: but
1: mm. um, my parents went to Saudi Arabia for school. Um, and then I was born there and my older brother was born there. And when I turned one... My dad graduated and he was trying to find a residency, but they are very racist in Saudi Arabia and they straight up told him, because you are Yemeni, we don't want to give you a job. Oh, your dad is a doctor? Correct. Okay. Yeah. So both my parents have their MDs. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so, um, at that point, you know, my dad has two kids. He's a little family. He doesn't know what to do mm-hmm. and he actually recalled the story about how he finally got an interview and it was like a few hours away and he drove all the way there and as soon as he got there they were like oh we didn't know you were Yemeni if we knew that we wouldn't have offered you the interview mm-hmm. so it was very blatant mm-hmm. on discrimination mm-hmm. and so Um, At that point, he was kind of reaching out to all of his connections, and he had a professor at his university who knew about an opportunity in Detroit. And when he brought it up with my mom, my mom told us that she was absolutely terrified. She was like, we can't go to America. They kill people on the streets there. Like, there's no way that we're going to go to America. But of course, that was his only option. Wait, who kills
0: people on the streets? What was your mom referring to?
1: My mom was thinking that America is a very violent place. Okay. Yeah. And which makes sense given that, you know, she grew up in Saudi Arabia and the Middle East and the relationship between the Middle East and America is not a very friendly one. Yeah. Um, and so a lot of what the M- Middle Eastern people know about America is that America came into the Middle East and ruined a lot of countries and killed a lot of people. And so my mom was just like, how, how can we just go live there? That doesn't make sense. We've never been there. But my dad did end up taking the position there. And so for the first, like, year of my life, I didn't really know my dad um, because he was in Detroit and we were in Saudi Arabia. And then when he had, like, enough money and he had a good standing and he found a place to live, we came to Detroit. So this was me, my older brother, and my mom. Mm. And so we lived in Detroit um, until I was about nine years old or ten.
0: So right after you were born, your dad moved to Detroit? Correct. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It was like a few months after. Mm -hmm. Um, And so my mom, though, like she also had she had a year left, I believe, for med school, too. So that was another reason that we stayed there. But when she finished med school and then she came here. She wasn't able to do residency because she had two kids to raise. Mm. And so there was nowhere to put us. And so she kind of put her school on the back burner. And, um, to this day, she never completed her residency. And so she just has this medical degree, but has never practiced. Um, and it's been really interesting seeing her perspective on life and education, given that reality for her, she's always been a big advocate of education. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm. and like really that she's, you know, very much like, you have to get your education, like, you must only rely on yourself, you can't rely on other people, and I feel like that comes from a lot of different places for her, but I feel very grateful for it, because typically in Yemeni culture, that's just not typical in Yemeni culture at all, so when I came here to Texas for my graduate program, my mom actually ended up getting a lot of backlash from the community, from the Yemeni community, like, people were straight up telling her, like, it's a sin that you let your daughter go to Texas by herself because... But
0: by this time, your entire family had been living in the United States for a while.
1: Right. But so the, even the Yemeni-American community... The Yemeni-American
0: community. The Yemeni-American, the Yemeni-American American okay. community, okay. right,
1: still has, like, a lot of, you know, cultural values, which makes sense. They're holding on to their ethnic identity. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she got mm-hmm. a lot of backlash from that. But, I mean, she stood her ground and she knows that this was the right decision for me. Mm. um but rewind to when I was a child so it's really interesting when I think about me as a kid let's see I would describe myself as like I was just very curious about the world and I was very um I was just trying to make sense of things Mm. and so when I was about I want to say five years old Um, so as you know, in the winter time, the days get a lot shorter and in Michigan, because it's a North from here, it's even shorter than in Texas. And, um, you know, our bedtime was, and then in the summer, it's like longer, even longer than it is here. And so in the summertime, our bedtime is around eight o'clock, but eight o'clock over there, the sun is still up. And so my mom was telling us as a little kid, and she's like, you have to go to bed. And I was like, Oh. I was like, is the machine that makes the sky move to make it nighttime not working anymore? Is it broken? Is that why like it's still sunlight and but it's eight o'clock and we have to go to bed? And I remember her like laughing and being Wait, like, how Oh, were yeah. you? The- I was like five, six, I was very little. I, cause um. I, I know it was definitely before nine because I was in Michigan. I mean it was in Detroit.
2: Yeah.
1: And I just remember cause I that's what I that's how I made I was just that's just how my mind worked. I would try to understand like yeah. where does the rain come from? Like how is it that the sky is moving and we're not moving? Is something controlling it? And in my mind, I saw it as like gears. Oh my god! Um, it's like wallpaper. Yeah. You
0: basically <laughs> went through humanity's conception of the yeah. firmament and everything this <laughs> right. in one lifetime.
1: Yeah. yeah. So I mean, that's just. Oh, here's another one. And so that's just how I. Um, yeah. That's just how I thought about things, and mm. I remember when I was in. So I. Was really excited to go to school. I remember being really excited to go to school. This is when I was three years old. Mm. And um, my, I remember because I remember my first day of school when I was three and a half. Okay, so my birthday's in December, mm. um, and my mom was like, "We need to put her in school. She's already like talking. She's <laughs> already like you know, conversing, having these philosophical conversations with <laughs> us. We have to put her in school." Yeah. But because my birthday's in December, there's a cutoff for age. So like if you're three, like if you're turning four after December, then you have to wait the next year to mm. go to preschool. Mm. But my mom found the one school that mm. let me um, attend because their cutoff was the end of December yeah. and most schools cutoff was the beginning of December. Yeah. And she was like, you just need to be in school. So I started school kind of early. It was three and a half. And I remember very clearly the first day where I was walking to school and we passed this market. And there was like words on it. And I remember like telling my mom, like, oh my God, like, I'm going to learn how to read that. Like, that's <laughs> so exciting to me. Because <laughs> yeah. I was just like, I can't, I'm going to unlock this whole new world of information.
2: Yeah. And
1: so, um, so I went to school. So I was three, three and a half yeah. when I started. And then when I was in second grade, two months into second grade, I was called to the principal's office. I have absolutely no idea what's going on. I like I was just like, oh, I'm a second grader just doing my second grade things. And I go to the principal's office and he he's like, sit down and he like gives me a book to read and like some math questions and like all of this stuff, and I was just like, okay, I'll just do it. I have no idea what's happening. And then this was like on like I think the beginning of the week. Yeah. And then by the end of the week, um my teacher told me on Monday, you're going to third grade. And I was like, oh, okay. I guess I'll just go to third grade. Like, I'm just going to be in third grade now.
0: Is the machine that keeps me in second grade (laughs) not working anymore? Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, at that point, I was just like, okay. I mean, I guess they're kind of related to each other. But even then, I didn't really recognize that they were, like, testing my ability to see, like, Mm. that I should, like, skip a grade. So at this point, so I was three in preschool, four in kindergarten, five in first grade, and then six in second grade. And so because I got promoted to third grade, I was a six year old in third grade, mm. but six year olds are typically in first grade.
0: Yeah.
1: Okay. So at so that you were point, with
0: eight year olds. Yes. Roughly. So I was
1: like yeah. a six year old with eight year olds. Yeah. And that kind of followed me through. Mm. I was always like, you know, two years younger than people mm. around me, but intellectually I didn't feel any younger. I felt like I was just pretty average with the people. Like, I felt like that was where I was being challenged, right?
0: Yeah. How old are you now?
1: Right now, I am... I'm turning 27 oh, in a couple okay. weeks. Yeah, yeah. cool.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and then in high school... Okay, yeah. so it was Detroit up until fifth grade. And then middle school, I went to Toledo, Ohio. Mm. Not a very good experience because I went into this new environment as a nine year old, I think at that point in middle school and middle schoolers are not very nice um, Mm. to you. And so I experienced a lot of bullying Mm. and because I came from Detroit, I wasn't really, um, socialized, like the community that we lived in in Detroit, was very Yemeni. So I, I actually remember thinking that like the whole world was Yemeni because that's just what it was. Like I recognized I lived in America,
2: yeah,
1: but it was Yemeni people. And I didn't recognize that those two things were different. Mm. Um, so middle school wasn't very fun. But that was also when I started realizing that I'm, a, I'm, I'm more different than the That's when I really started realizing like, oh, I am younger than people. Um, I started realizing coming from Detroit really did impact me. Stuff like that. Um, And then in high school, we moved back to Michigan. And for high school, it's just typically four years from ninth to twelfth grade. And I remember in high school being like, what am I doing here? Like, I just want to go to college. And so I did high school in three years instead of four
0: years.
1: Instead of four years. So I graduated from high school at 15 years old, where people typically graduate at 17, 18. Hmm. And so... I went into college as, like, this 15-year-old, which, of course, like, shaped a lot of my experiences. Um, I didn't seem 15, but as I think back on it, there was a lot of things developmentally that, like, I was not necessarily prepared for. Like, in a lot of my, a lot of, it took me a long time to accept that, There are just some things that I'm just not going to know. So like there's a lot of gaps in my knowledge because of like the developmental um, kind of speed that I went through things. And it took me a long time to just be okay with that. And so today I feel very comfortable like when someone says something, if it's like a word I don't know or like a concept or whatever it is. Or if they say something I just don't understand, I feel very comfortable being like, "Hold on, I don't know what you just said." And I used to feel very embarrassed by that. I used to feel very, very embarrassed that I was like supposed to be really smart, but like didn't know some of these things. Um, But now I feel very comfortable, just kind of like so with Nolan. He brings up a lot of conversation. So Nolan is a mutual friend of ours. He brings up in a lot of conversation, a lot of references that I just like don't know. Mm. And in, even in the beginning of our friendship, I would just be like, oh, okay. But now I'm just like, hold on. I need you to explain this to me, even if it means an interruption in our conversation. Yeah. Because that's really important to me that I really know where you're coming from and how this shapes your understanding
0: of things. Yeah.
1: Um, is this
0: a lot of like, like pop cultural stuff or like things...
1: I mean, it's a lot of things, so pop, pop cultural references, but also historical references, but also cultural references, Mm. but also, like, um, even if it's, I mean, so I didn't grow up with a lot of pop culture, Mm. um, and so I, so I know, like, one thing that a lot of people ask me, like, oh, did you watch Spongebob growing up? Did you watch Spongebob? Yeah, a little bit. I didn't watch Spongebob. Yeah, like, you have better I,
0: things to do. Right.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I have better things to think about. Yeah. Yeah, so that's like one example where
0: yeah.
1: I used to feel very embarrassed yeah. that I didn't know these things. Yeah. Um, but now I feel way more comfortable just being like, nope, I have no idea. Wow. Tell me why that's yeah. relevant to this co- Like, just let me know. There's no shame involved in it anymore.
0: But have you watched Spongebob?
1: I've seen like a couple episodes, yeah. You
0: don't seem to approve.
1: I mean... I just haven't had like, you know, any specific motivation, right, (laughs) to sit and watch it. It seems like a really funny show and I'm sure I'd love it. Yeah. Um but you know, there's a lot of things that I really enjoy watching. So (laughs) Okay. Um so that's kind of like my Hmm. academic Mm -hmm. life, I would say, almost like intellectual. Yeah. And even in high school, um I was talking to a friend of mine about this. Even in high school I was never, and I think I think just my entire childhood, I was never okay with just, like, accepting things. I always wanted to understand, like, like how can we change the structure of things? Like, the status quo
2: mm.
1: was, didn't make, it didn't, I didn't just, like, accept the status quo. And I think it's because I, like, moved a little bit, mm. you know, a few times. And, but the places that I moved from were just very different from one another. Um... So, for example, when I was in ninth or 10th grade, and at this point I must have been, like, you know, 11 or 12 um, or 13, I was like, you know it would be really cool if high school students got to teach elementary school students um, for a day. And so I, like, created this program where um, high school students can, like, team up with an elementary school teacher and like choose a day where they teach the students instead of the teacher. Cause it would just be like a really cool experience. Um, I don't know why, (laughs) (laughs) but I just thought like, that was so cool. That was so cool to do. And so I went ahead and like, you know, organized it. And I remember like thinking back at it, like a lot of people being like, why are you, you know, just kind of like, Mm -hmm. there's, what's the reason? Like, Mm -hmm. why are you doing this extra thing? And honestly, it was just because like I wanted to. I think it was like I wanted to experience something different. Like I just wanted to put myself in someone else's shoes mm. and see what it would be like. Mm. Um. Yeah.
0: Did you end up doing it? Hmm. So, as yeah. a high school student, you taught some elementary.
1: Yeah, I yeah. taught second grade, and I think I also taught like sixth grade, for a day. It was really interesting. The sixth mm. grade class I taught it was a class. It was a math class. And we were, they were learning about angles and I love math. I was a math elite in high school. Um, they were learning about angles and I remember telling them like, guys, (laughs) did you know that triangles can only be, what is it? Like 90, 180, 180 degrees, right? Yeah. And their minds were, like, blown. Yeah. And they spent, like, most of the class trying to prove me wrong. <laughs> and so everyone was, like, drawing triangles and, like, yeah, using and a protractor. Yeah. yeah. And it was, like, yeah. it was just really a cool experience to see, like, yeah. to teach these young people. Yeah. And so I'm sure it, like, really yeah. was, like, helpful. There are some a lot triangles that
0: don't have to be 180.
1: Really? <laughs> yeah. Like, like...
0: Like not on a flat surface, but on a curved surface, oh, surface they are no longer one hundred and eighty.
1: Yeah, I'm sure. I'm <laughs> yeah. sure on a curved surface, but we don't have to tell. We don't yeah. have to tell the that.
0: Of, but think about <laughs> this: if so you take the Earth, yeah, and you draw this. Okay, so I'm trying to build a picture of this triangle. I might have to snip this out of the podcast because it's great. really hard. But the triangle comprises of the North Pole, mm-hmm. and then you go all the way down from the North Pole to the equator. Yeah. And then you go a quarter way along the equator.
1: Yeah.
0: And then you go back up to the North Pole.
1: Is that still a triangle if it's a curved line? Is that it a different it, shape?
0: That's a straight line on the curved surface.
1: Yeah, I guess relative to what?
0: Yeah. So... uh Technically, if your triangle on planet Earth is big enough, the angles will not add up to 180, because <laughs> the Earth is curved. Yeah, it's just a, like yeah. a little trivia. That's
1: actually. But that's when a really I found point. that
0: out about triangles and people actually making those measurements and finding out that it's not exactly 180, and that's how I'm like, oh, we live on a curved planet.
1: <laughs> that's true. We do.
0: Yeah, that was pretty cool. to you know.
1: What about what a uh... It's like a, that's such an interesting perspective. Like that's like a different perspective than what I considered. Like when you expect things to be absolute truths and they're not. Yeah. Absolutely not. But
0: But, I mean, the geometry that you're talking about is Euclidean geometry, mm -hmm. where you presume that everything is flat. Correct. And on like, in a a flat world, triangles add up to 180. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But do we live in a flat world? I guess there are flat surfaces. Our surfaces are flat? Yeah, they're like
0: locally flat. As in, if you don't go too far, things are kind of flat.
1: Gotcha. Yeah. yeah, So if you drew on a paper,
0: then it's going to be. It's going to be flat. Yeah, it's going to be nearly identically 180 degrees. Gotcha. 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 Yeah. 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 So okay. So sorry, yeah, like like, threw threw off your.
1: Totally okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and then in undergrad, I was Mm -hmm. very. So my first year of undergrad. I spent a lot of time alone, Mm. Um, but just because, like, I I mean, I was like, okay, I go to class, and then I was just like on the computer a lot, Um, and I had like a little online community. So I guess I was I was physically alone, but not like mentally or socially.
0: What is this online community? Um, on
1: Facebook, yeah. I don't know if you remember, but there used to be like these little games you can play on facebook with the little characters
0: maybe pirates versus ninjas was one that i kind of remember vaguely
1: okay yeah i don't remember the names of them or anything like that um but um i had known someone at that university Hmm. that i also knew from my like congregation from the mosque and she was like hey you should come hang out with like this group of people they were the like, the group that does, like, the record, like, record videos and for the university and does, like, commercial, like, stuff like that, and I was like, yeah, okay, and so I went with them, and I was like, oh, my God, this is so cool, and I just, ever since then, became, like, really involved in, like, student group and student life Mm. up until I graduated, and then even after that, I've always been involved in community work, and to this day, it informs a lot of my work, um, in my research, um, so, I feel like there's a lot of different, I mean, I think this is the case for a lot of people, but there's a lot of different phases,
2: a lot yeah. of different,
1: like, pieces of who I've been that, mm-hmm. you know, I am now a culmination of all of those. I, like, kind of picked and choose what fits the, the best for me now, and I try to embody that.
0: Mm. Yeah. Um, one lingering question I had was about Yemenis in Saudi Arabia. Mm. So they're like a whole different ethnic group that look different from other people who are Arabs or I'm ask, I'm I'm asking some very basic questions that I just don't know. That's about.
1: okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean it's just it's no, I mean, you can tell the difference between people. Like people, you know, generally look different. Like I'm sure you can tell the difference between people from like North India and South India. Right. Oh, yeah. They're all Indian, but mm. they maybe have different languages or mm. at the very least different dialects and, you know, different foods and some different traditions, but some overlapping.
2: Yeah.
1: So it's kind of like, you know, the same thing in the Middle East. You have the different countries. Um, you can very easily tell if someone is from Egypt, for example, based off of their di- The dialects are very distinct. Mm. Um, but also, there is a little bit of, you know, features that are different as well. I mean, it's a large area yeah. of the globe. So, yeah. you you know, people generally know that I am Yemeni. Like, if people are from the Middle East, they can tell that I'm Yemeni. Hmm. But a lot of Desi people actually think that I'm Desi.
0: Yeah. But well, when you say Desi, you mean like Indian, right? Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. Okay, South okay. Asian. Right? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, what is the dominant... Like, who who gets the... Who gets the benefit of the racism in Saudi Arabia? Are these people called Arabs or like what? Just Saudi
1: Arabians. This is very nationalistic, yeah. Okay. So Saudi Arabians are pro-Saudi Arabia. Like right now I have... uh, My uncle lives in Saudi Arabia. Mm. And the government taxes people who are not Saudi Arabian, nationally Saudi Arabian, by the individual. And I think they're... I mean, a lot of it is you know straight up discrimination right feeling and bias feeling that saudi arabians are better um you know and then trying to kind of kick out immigrants from saudi arabia which is really interesting because you know saudi arabia is built off of you know they bring in a lot of people from different countries to build the place and then they treat them really poorly yeah
0: but that's like oh that's like dispensable stuff they're not yeah, they're just, like, building stuff.
1: Exactly, yeah. exactly. Not treated, yeah. really, as part of the country, but... Yeah,
0: but wait, so you are not, like, Saudi Arabian? No. You... Oh, okay, so, like... You yeah, did... so
1: Saudi Arabia would not claim me as anything, even though I was born there.
0: Yeah, I have heard mm-hmm. a similar thing. There was this um, ethnically Indian person that I knew mm-hmm. who also considers herself to be Indian, even though she was born and raised in Saudi Arabia for similar reasons. Mm-hmm. She's like, "Oh yeah, I don't even get citizenship." No. And uh, yeah, and a bunch of crap like that that I heard, yeah. and I was like pretty surprised. I was like, "That sounds annoying to like live there." And. Basically has her own community. It's just like the Indian community is separate from the rest of the world. They go to Indian school and everything. And Mm -hmm. it's just so difficult. Sometimes it's like prohibited to assimilate with... Oh, yeah.
1: My mom actually, she was born and somewhat raised in Yemen. And then when she was in middle school, they moved to Saudi Arabia. Yeah. And lived there from middle school all the way to the end of medical school. And, you know, Mm. she doesn't feel any affiliation yeah to the country and you know they don't recognize her in any yeah, way they're lost right yeah i <laughs> yeah. mean i agree
0: but yeah that's okay and what about you have four brothers
1: yeah i have four yeah. brothers and a little sister so i have an older brother and then i have three younger brothers and then my sister is the youngest yeah. she just turned 10 on monday on tuesday
0: Okay. okay okay yeah so what did you study in college
1: Okay, that's mm-hmm. a good question. So, like I said, I loved math. Mm-hmm. Like, I, that was my favorite subject in high school. Um, Like, I remember in math class, whenever, like, we would finish the work, um, we would have these little games where we would have, like, two people go on the board, and the teacher would give us a math problem and see who would finish it first. <laughs> and I was always, like, put on the board, right? Because oh people God. were like, oh, my God, let's see how she does it. Because <laughs> I just loved, you know, I was... It was just easier for me to do it in my head.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, And so when it was time to go to college, so you know how I said I just wanted to get out and go to college, but I didn't think about what I would do in college. I just knew that I wanted to get out of high school. Um, And so when I was going to college, I was like, oh, shoot, what am I going to study in college? I don't know. I have Mm. no idea. Mm. And, um, you know, some people were like, study math. And I was like, what am I going to do with math? They're like, study Teaching. I was like, yeah, I don't really like teaching. And you know, like it's not something I only want to do teaching. It's fun, but and my grandfather is an accountant, and he was like, be an accountant, you like math. And I was like, I mean, I guess. I guess that's the closest thing that I can find. And um, so my first year of college, I was an accounting major and I absolutely hated it. It was the worst thing ever. Mm. I didn't did not like it at all. I was like, I don't want to do this for the rest of my life. And so I was like, okay, I need to change my major because there was, like, the accounting piece, but I just didn't like the business world. I didn't like the, like, suit and tie, very professional, having to kind of put on a face. Um, You know, that just wasn't who I was, and I just felt very out of place.
0: Mm.
1: And so I was like, I don't know what to do. I guess I'll switch to math. Because that's what yeah, I, was I was really interested in. To
0: ask you like, <laughs> you know, why is accounting the closest thing to math? Math is the yeah. closest thing to math. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah. so then I I started majoring in math, and I was like, man, this is way too theoretical for me. Oh. Like she- I like applied math. Yeah. Like I want to solve for numbers rather than understand these conceptual things. Yeah. It just wasn't as fun.
2: Yeah.
1: And so I did switch to math, and then I you know, you have to take these general education classes. And I took a logic class in philosophy, Mm. loved it. And I was like, yes, this is an application of math, really, right? But it's with people, Mm. right? And I was like, this is great because now I have a better way of understanding people's thought processes
2: Mm. through
1: math, Mm. right? Mm. And so I switched to a philosophy major. Mm. Um, But then I was like, what am I going to do with the philosophy major? <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: I'm like just switching these majors and yeah. then afterwards thinking like, oh, shit, yeah. what am I going to do? Um,
2: <laughs>
1: so, and then I took a psychology of prejudice class. Mm. Um, I want to say like between my second and third year and I loved it.
2: Mm.
1: I was like, oh my God. Like the, the class was a lot of research and really just saying like, you know, the research tells us, (laughs) the research tells us, you know, people generally have these kinds of attitudes or people generally do this. And I was like, you mean I can understand human behavior? Like Mm. what? That was mind blowing to me. Mm. And keep in mind at this time, I was like 16, 17. And I was like, I love this. Like this is, this is the application of that logic, but really more in human behavior. And so I switched to a psychology major. Mm. Um, and then while I was, you know, doing all of that, like switching academic wise, I was also, like I said, really involved in a lot of, um, you know, uh, student groups, a lot of identity based ones. And, um, I went to a lecture. So I have a minor in philosophy and a major in psychology. And I went to a lecture about men- Muslim mental health and specifically, young people's mental health young muslims mental health and at this time i was kind of like volunteering at the mosque and i was doing these student groups with the muslim student association and i was having a lot of conversations with people just kind of like processing what it's like to be young and you know be kind of like an in-between you know different cultures and all of that and so i went to this lecture that was talking about young muslim mental health and how this is like a field that you can study and you know contribute to and the speaker at the end of the talk said you know this is what our organization does we do this kind of research and we're looking for interns so if anybody's interested you know just come up and you know let's talk and for the first time in my life i was like you know what i'm gonna go talk to the speaker (laughs) yeah and so i just went up to her and i was like hey um, I really liked your talk. I would love to be part of whatever you're doing. This sounds really interesting. And I've been part of that organization for the last eight years.
2: Oh, wow. And right yeah. now
1: I'm actually leading a nationwide, like, uh, pilot study on, um, youth belonging in mosques and mm. how do we, inc- like, build an intervention to increase belonging. Mm. And so, um... Yeah, I feel very, I feel like a lot of things are kind of set up for me, really. Like, you know, I had to have taken that psych of Prejudice class. I had to have um, been involved in that. So that psycho Prejudice class, I was also like, okay, I need to go talk to this professor and be like, how do I do this?
2: Yeah.
1: And so I went to his office hours and I was like, can I, can you teach me? Hmm. And so I joined his research lab. And then after that, I went to that lecture and I was like, oh my God, I love this. So I went to her and I was like, can I join? And she's like, yeah, sure. I've been part of that. So I feel like a lot of these things are placed in my life, right? Like I got the exact training of the things that I absolutely loved to do. And so right now I do research on discrimination
2: Hmm.
1: and identity. Um, So it's, I've been doing this research for the last 10 years, you know, this work for the last 10 years. And I don't think a lot of people can say that at like 27. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah,
0: totally. Yeah. So where
1: was your undergrad? It was at the University of Michigan in Dearborn. Okay. Yeah. So Dearborn is known to be like the epicenter of Arab Americans and Muslims. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: And then uh, how many years ago did you finish your undergrad?
1: 2014. So I graduated from high school in 2009 Mm. and I've been in college ever since. Mm. So I've been in college for 11 years now, Mm. about to be 12
0: So 2014, you you finished your undergrad.
1: And then I went to my master's program.
0: Which is still what you're doing now? So
1: right now I'm doing my PhD.
0: Oh, you're doing your PhD, yeah. Yeah. And where was your master's?
1: My master's was at Wayne State University. What? Wayne State University in Detroit.
0: Okay, and that was on, like you had a thesis and, and, and what was that on? Yeah.
1: My thesis was on, was a systematic review of the literature from 2005 to 2015 on Muslim youth hmm. and so at that point even hmm. when my master's program hmm. so when I was an undergrad I knew I wanted to get my PhD so my hmm. dad at some point in my life when I was like 15 or 16 he was like "Hanan, you can do any you can study whatever you want as long as you're a doctor
0: <laughs> <laughs> like a medical doctor no it's oh, okay. like
1: a doctor yeah and okay. I was like okay So, even, but I think it came from a place, like, you know, knowing that, like, I had the capacity to do that, you know, like, and so, I mean, I knew I wanted to get my PhD because I was just like, you know, my parents are doctors, like, I also need (laughs) to, you know, they, you know, I have the ability to do it. I know I can do it. And so, I, um... So actually for undergrad, I did undergrad in five years and I really wanted to finish it in four years, right? I was this kid who was like doing everything really fast and it was yeah, to become yeah. part of my identity. But you also
0: switched majors three times.
1: Correct. So. But it was still part of who I was that I like needed to yeah, no. be quicker. I, I needed to be smarter. I yeah. And I had a really big identity crisis. Yeah. And I remember the decision, the day that I made that decision to take an extra year. Yeah. And I remember being like, like chill out, yeah, you know? Yeah. And I mean, ever since then, I keep telling myself to chill out. Yeah. Um, and I, I feel like I've been something similar
0: but different that yeah. also happened in undergrad. For you yeah. as yeah, well? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Similar but different. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Like, I yeah. couldn't keep up with myself, really. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't keep up with my expectations of myself.
0: Yeah.
1: But I still knew that I wanted to get my PhD. And so I was applying to doctoral programs and master's programs in undergrad. And I yeah. did get accepted to a doctoral program. But I was like, okay, I'm going to start this doctoral program that's going to take, like, what, six, seven years of my life. Yeah. And I only have a bachelor's in psychology. And at that point, you know, my sister was like three. My siblings were still like elementary and middle school and high school. And so I was like, I don't want to make that commitment. And then something happened to my parents. And then I don't have any way to support my siblings. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And so for that reason, I made the decision to do my master's first. Because I was like, I can do my master's, get that done in two years. And it'll help me with my PhD program. But at least I have now something in, in my pocket. Yeah, You know, so if, you know, something happens,
0: yeah,
1: I can stop my PhD program and I still have a way to make good money. I see. Yeah.
0: Okay.
1: Um, but so even in my master's program, I knew I was going to apply for doctoral programs. Mm-hmm. And so for my thesis, I wanted to do something that was going to help me in my master's, in my doctoral program. And I knew that I wanted to do research on Muslim and youth, mm-hmm. and mental health.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So kind of coming into the game, I kind of already knew yeah. what I wanted to do. And so that's why for my thesis, I did like a systematic review of the literature. And I actually, um, one of my early publications was on, um, you know, what the research says. What does the research say? I think it's called something like that. Mm-hmm. Muslim youth research. Yeah. Yeah. Something yeah. Like that. Um, I, that was written with Dr. Samir Ahmed, who is a person from that lecture.
0: I see. Okay. okay, yeah. okay.
1: Cool. yeah. 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 So she's been my mentor ever since. Yeah. yeah. And I have meetings with her every week, which is, like, pretty crazy to me.
0: (laughs) And and then, since then, you've been doing your PhD here at UT Austin?
1: Yeah. Okay. So, I did my master's program for two years, graduated in 2016. Hmm. And 2016 is when I started here at UT Austin. And so, should be done in a year and a half. Hmm. Yeah.
0: I saw, well, when I Googled you, I saw somewhere else that you were, like, are you, like, working also with some institute or some... some... The
1: Family and Youth Institute. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah, yeah. the nonprofit that I've what been is working... It called? The Family and Youth Institute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the nonprofit that I've been working with for the last eight years. So I started off as an intern. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And now I am a researcher and a community educator. And so I do research with them. Yeah. But I also do community education workshops. So I've gone to different mosques around the country to give workshops on parenting, mental health, um, you know, how to deal with bullying, hmm. stuff like that.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. What is this uh and what's the podcast?
1: So Two the,
0: podcasts, I guess.
1: Yeah. So that's like separate. Hmm. Yeah. Okay, so a few years ago or a couple of years ago, I was approached by a um So there's a national organization called Muslim Youth of North America, Mm. and they have these annual week-long camps Mm. that high schoolers plan for high schoolers and middle schoolers also. And so they approached me, that organization approached me, the adults of the organization, and they said, hey... We're noticing that in a lot of our camps, we have these kids who are there for a week and a lot of their issues come up and we don't know what to do. Like, we don't know how to deal with it. Can you help us kind of create a position for like a mental health consultant or a therapist or something to come? And so I helped them create a position, a mental health consultant position. Um, So someone would come and just kind of be there to provide skills for the counselors, like, you know, do de-escalation, crisis management, stuff like that. Mm. Um, and so I got to do that
2: yeah.
1: and, um, I met a lot of people, a really amazing people there and they were like, this is amazing. It was obviously really helpful. We're going to want to hire you for like the next two years. Right. And I was like, oh shoot. Okay. I guess I need to kind of make this into like an LLC because I get a lot of consulting, yeah. um, little gigs. Yeah. Right. So a lot of different organizations, um, you know, some local, some like local here, some local in Michigan that asked me to do some of these things, and so I was like, okay, maybe I need to form some sort of LLC mm. because I'm deathly afraid of immigrant parents.
0: <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> and so I was like, I need
1: something to protect myself, <laughs> so that it's like you know, it's the organization, it's like the LLC that you know. Yeah. Ow, ow, ow. Well, why so... are you
0: deathly afraid of immigrant? Are you afraid? Are you deathly afraid of your own parents?
1: Um, I used to be.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah, I used to be very afraid of them. Yeah. I mean, I'm afraid of immigrant parents because they're very protective of their kids. They're right? also pretty
0: intense, you know?
1: Yeah, they're very intense, and they're very, like, black and white sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was like, I just needed to protect myself. Mm-hmm. Um. And so I created this LLC, but mm-hmm. one of the things that I was noticing with my work with a lot of high schoolers is that a lot of the same questions were coming
2: up, mm-hmm. right?
1: Um... And so that's where that podcast came up. And so, and also like my Instagram page and my website, cause I was like, I need to have
2: mm.
1: kind of like a central place, centralized place for all of this. And so on my ins- Instagram page, Hey Hashim, you'll see like there's different quotes and these are all things that people have said to me over and over and over again. Yeah. And they're like, Hey, I have this thought, what is your response to it? And so mm. that's where that came out of. Um, and even that, that one podcast episode that I have up is a response. It's like a question that I get from a lot of different people. Mm. Um, so that's where that came from. The other podcast is with Safa Institute. And so are you familiar with Nuasis mosque?
0: Uh, yeah. I you mean, there? familiar as in, I know where it is. and like Yeah. So it's it, a little so
1: mosque. It. It's run by, um, yeah. college students on the campus. And, um, they had asked me to come and do a talk on, like, how do you help your friends who's going, how do you help a friend that's going through something? Mm -hmm. You know, what do you say? What do you not say? Stuff like that. And so, you know, I went and I did that lecture for them. And I was approached afterwards by some of the students, and they were like, hey, we really want to, like, um, start this therapy fund for, um, you know, young Muslim college students who want to go to therapy but can't afford it. But they also wanted to create more like culture. One of the issues with like minority people going to therapy is that there isn't a lot of cultural competency with therapists, right? So you have a Muslim person who's or like, you know, an immigrant. And I don't, I don't want to conflate the two, right? Not all Muslims are immigrant or come from immigrant families. And not, obviously not all immigrant families are Muslim. But um, being Muslim is very, it's a different culture, Um, and it comes with different traditions and it comes with different, um, very specific values that, um, Muslims want to adhere to. And so one example is like, you know, having this deep reverence for parents, right. Which is like, you know, common in a lot of Eastern cultures. And so oftentimes when someone goes to therapy, they're like, I'm having a conflict with my parents. The therapist would be like, okay, like talk to them about it. And there's no talking to parents sometimes. Mm -hmm. And Um, or if, you know, so within the Muslim culture, there are certain things that are not necessarily allowed, like dating, you Mm. know, like casual dating. Mm. And so if someone is saying like, oh yeah, I have a casual partner, but I know that I shouldn't, and it's causing a lot of conflict, the therapist might help them reduce the internal conflict rather than help them, um, stop the behavior. Mm. Right. So you see how there's like just Mm -hmm. a difference in values. Right. Mm. And so a lot of people don't go to therapists, a lot of like Muslims or a lot of just people of color generally don't go to therapists because there's just this barrier in culture. Mm. And so this organization wants to create. So part of this organization, um, me and a couple of local therapists are creating a cultural competency training for local therapists in Austin to teach them a little bit about like um, how being Muslim Interacts with like these different systems and how mm-hmm. it impacts their symptoms and diagnoses and relationships and all that so yeah and then also we're doing some research as well so and then Safa so that's Safa Institute and so they're doing their own podcast and I was part of that where I was like the moderator for some of these discussions um so that's the trailer that's up yeah. that you heard yeah so yeah okay yeah cool so it's a lot of different.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stuff. Um, I'm getting a picture now.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: On a completely random spectrum of this picture. What is this thing that you did about? You had some paper about uh the attitudes of conspiracy theorists?
1: Yeah. <laughs> I did. So, in undergrad, yeah. I was um I took this like comp It, it was like a um So there's a software that a lot of Like social scientists use um, SPSS. I don't know if you're familiar with it. Yeah, Yeah, It's it's a pretty simple compared to other programming Mm -hmm. softwares like R, where it's very it's like point and click. But I was in this class learning how to do it and learning how to do the syntax for it, and we had to come up with an idea for an um, a uh, study to run, and um, we I think we were just all really. At that point, I don't know what it was, like 2013 or something, like we were all just very curious about conspiracy theorists and we were like, oh, we can assess the attitudes of people who have, like we can understand people who have conspiracy theory, who are more likely to have conspiracy theories. And so it really just came from a place of like, oh, this is interesting. And um, the purpose was really to use that as a tool to learn the software.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah. So you take data about things that they have said about other stuff, and then you try and find if it predicts whether they will.
1: Yeah. So we had like a scale on like, um, you know, whether you're likely to believe Mm -hmm. in conspiracy theories, and then we had other attitudes. I can't remember what the other attitudes were, and we just wanted to see like what attitudes predict someone to have conspiracy, yeah, to have um, to hold conspiracy theories.
0: I think my dad is going to rank pretty highly, on
1: really Scale? yeah I
0: think he believes in a lot of conspiracy yeah. theories. I
1: believe in a lot of conspiracy theories too.
0: You know, and yet you say that, oh what? yeah, how what?
1: Because I feel like anything can happen oh, so i don't want to I don't want to close the possibility oh, okay of like certain things being true, yeah, right?
0: yeah, yeah.
1: I mean Harvey Weinstein, not Harvey Weinstein, but what's his name, the other guy? Epstein? No, is it Epstein? What is the guy that had, like, know. the kids?
0: I don't know. I don't know about these things. I live under a... a, a okay,
1: a well, there's a lot yeah. of conspiracy theories that were proven yeah. to be true. Yeah. Um, And so I'm like, you know what? Yeah. Unless you can give me hard evidence that it's not true, then even then yeah. I'll still believe that it might be true.
0: You know about the flat earth conspiracy thing? I do. Yeah. So the, the upside of that would be that all triangles would add up to 180 degrees.
1: Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. That's true. <laughs> pretty
0: simple. Yeah. It could,
1: right? Maybe.
0: Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so... Ju- 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 ju. I think... I think... Yeah. I think we're pretty much done with this... With this section? Intro. Uh, yeah. Um, Hanan 101. The one little thing that I think I kind of missed in this... Timeline? Yeah. In this timeline is... At what point did you learn the kind of the basic tools and techniques of therapy? Was it in your undergrad or your master's? Because you, you said that you like, people consult you. Yeah. Like about these kids and stuff. So at what point did you learn those things so as to consult with people or consult with therapists?
1: So I didn't De-escalation learn, and stuff like that. I didn't learn the therapy piece of it until my master's program. Mm. But even in my undergrad, you know, I was still like fairly younger than other people. Yeah. But I remember that I was seen as a mentor for a lot of people that were older than me. Yeah. And I think that like, I think a lot of things contributed to that. I think like, you know, I really helped raise my younger siblings. Mm. Um, I think I was just, I don't, I, I, really understood the power of like sitting with someone and understanding Mm. the, the processes that an individual partakes in
2: Mm.
1: and like understanding that that can be different for different people. And so to understand what someone is going through, you have to be, you can't assume. Mm. Um, and so because I was just really curious and I asked a lot of people, a lot of questions and I was always like wanting to know people's stories and how they came to these conclusions. I think that really helped me become a little bit more aware about the way that humans interact.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, And I'm sure you probably experienced that as well where some things may seem like a little bit obvious to you um, when it comes to human interaction where for you it's like a question mark but you can see other people making assumptions about people's behaviors but you're like, wait, 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 we don't have enough information to know that. And I think that that allows us to have like I think a deeper level of compassion. Yeah. for people and for just like not knowing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for joining us for this part of our conversation in the Room of Lives. In the next two parts we talk about Islam and her therapy.